I realize Ryan just had you sit down, but humor me for a minute and stand back up. Now, some of you are irritated because you got all comfortable, got all situated, and that's okay. I know some of you I irritate, but I'm going to even make you more irritated because I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to move from where you are, and the only rule on this is you have to sit in a different pew. You can't, moving doesn't count as this, okay? I'll give you 30 seconds, go. you are is where the Lord wants you to be. So sit down. I'm going to be preaching from back here tonight. (laughs) If you want to be successful in any area of your life, I mean, any area of your life, uh, it requires you to get uncomfortable. Now, I do not have a photographic memory, so I don't photographically know where you all sit. But my guess is, although most of you played along, and I appreciate that, I guess of you there are a few in here that said, "Mm mm-mm, not doing it. Not playing preacher games tonight. Just give me the word. Okay? I do this illustration to tell you what we're going to talk about tonight is about getting uncomfortable. Um... Jesus, let us come to know you, is such a beautiful, almost lullaby-esque song. It just rocks you, and you just get all comfortable right where you are. But what we're going to learn tonight as we get near the end of John is that every interaction that Jesus had with people was rarely Jesus rocking them and just cradling them and just making them as comfortable as possible. In fact, Jesus, the great rabbi that he was, was always teaching. And and in order to teach someone, you have to get them from where they are to where you need them to be. And so sometimes you have to do that incrementally. But Jesus was always working at growing his disciples. That's what we've seen through this entire journey with John. When we started out, as John described, in the beginning was the Word. And we get now to this, as we've watched the Word live out and walk out and teach and train and mold his disciples and teach them about the kingdom and remind them what it means to, uh, to be a follower of Christ... The number one word that comes back to my mind again and again and again is get, I'm sorry, is the word uncomfortable. And if, if we're not careful in a church setting, Northside or any church setting, the danger is sometimes the longer you're in the setting, the more comfortable you become. And that's dangerous. Uh, because then we're getting we're getting hardened 
and, and we're not allowing Jesus to mess with us as he used to. Tonight's story, we said last week that our uh, chapter 20 was the sort of the grand finale, the climax, if you will, of the story. Tonight we're in John chapter 21, and this is the epilogue of the story. This is, I don't know if you read enough books to understand the epilogue, but, you know, the, the author writes a story, and then at the end of the story, he or she may write an epilogue, which is tying together the loose ends, sort of saying, here's what happened after the story. Here's what happened next. You know, it's a transition, maybe setting up for another book or uh, the rest of the story or filling in the gaps that you may have had along the way. Tonight's, uh, as I said, we're in John chapter 21, so you'll want to turn there as we get the third resurrection appearance of Jesus in the book of John. The first two were in John chapter 20, um, verses 19 through 23 was the first one. John chapter 20, verses 26 through 29 is the second one. And this is this story tonight is taking place at the Sea of Tiberias, which for some reason is John's nickname for the Sea of Galilee. Um, in John chapter six, verse one, uh, Jesus or John writes, "After Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias." So don't get too confused at this location. If you aren't familiar with Sea of Tiberias, I'm quite sure you know the name, the Sea of Galilee. And they are here for a purpose, and that purpose we're going to talk about um, as we go along tonight. If you're in your Bibles, you turn to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, and we read these words. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. <clears throat> he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the, of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, <clears throat> dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal, <clears throat> a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on, out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. 
Now, none of his disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The eleven, of course, Judas not being with them, uh, and it may not have been the other, uh, the full eleven, because John recounts um, one, two, three, four, five, six, um, that go out to a very familiar place. Uh, They knew this place well. Some, because that's what they did by trade. They were fishermen. Some were called as disciples there. Uh, Many of them, of course, would have seen the miracles and the teachings of Jesus there. But there was something unfamiliar that morning. The rabbi was not with them, or so they thought. They were actually doing as they had been instructed to do. Matthew, at the end of Matthew's gospel, not in John's, but in Matthew 28, 16, Matthew records that the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So they were going there to wait. No doubt, um, Jesus had another lesson to teach them. I'm going fishing, Peter says. Um, so while they're waiting for Jesus at Galilee and not seeing him immediately... Peter led them back to doing what they knew how to do, what they had been trained. It, it, certainly in that culture, a trade was not just something you learned when you graduated from college. It, it was a, a, something that young children, young teenagers would begin to learn uh, oftentimes with their fathers or grandfathers, taking up the family business, learning a trade or taking up an apprenticeship. So they had been at this a while. It was something that they knew it was how they made a living And it was how they fed themselves, no doubt. Peter is always listed first in the list of the disciples. He's the the lion-hearted. He would lead and they would follow. But fishing was something that didn't take boldness. It didn't take Peter's courage. It was something familiar and comfortable and easy. Now, as I said... They didn't know Jesus was here. Jesus seems to be here incognito. I don't want to use the term shapeshifter or anything like that, but uh, he was there, but unrecognizable. Uh, this is similar to Luke's account of what happened on the road to Emmaus. The disciples are actually walking with Jesus, but for however, in some form, either in their mind or in their vision, physically, uh, they were unable to ascertain that this was Jesus. And it seems like Jesus, I mean, you know, if I had that ability, that would be a handy trick to use uh, now and again. When Jesus arrived, or when, when, when they finally gathered that it was him, he did what he had always done from the very beginning. Uh, from the very first time that he had called them, he would call them to an uncomfortable place. Recall verses 5 through 8. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. 
He said to them, then cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and therefore threw himself into the sea. The other disciples dragging the full net of fish were not far from the land, but about a, a hundred yards off. Of course, we don't recognize this story if we only read John's gospel. But in the other gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know this is a familiar story. I mean, it has to be like th- this whole recreation of the scenario when they were called, like, hey, do you have any fish? And the fishermen, you know, what is this guy doing, you know, pushing them in buttons? And, and then they say, no, we don't have any fish. And he says, you're on the wrong side of the boat, which is just kind of curious. If you're in a boat, all the fish are one side or the other. I don't know. In any case, Jesus, certainly in their mind, certainly in the muscle memory of their faith, they go, wait a second. We have been here before. This seems eerily familiar. And I love what he says. He says, children. Now, this is not a condescending term. Some people use that uh, um, if, they, if they call you boy. That's not a good sign. Okay, uh, That's a, a, a sign of condescension and derision. But how Jesus uses it is a, a, a familiar term, a, a term of affection and love and endearment. In, in John's 13th chapter, verse 33, Jesus said to them this, Little children, let a, yet a little while, while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you also, where I am going, you cannot come. There were these times when Jesus, needing to teach the disciples, but wanting to do them in a gentle way, would say children. And I, you know, he's no doubt doing this again. And also calling them back to trying to give them a few subtle clues as to who this mysterious voice is on the shore. Finally, as the net fills, John, who I personally think was the smartest of the disciples, um, recognizes the voice, the smile. He elbows Peter. Hey, that's Jesus over there. Remember what John wrote in John chapter 10, 4. He said, when he has brought out all his own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I love that thought that the very first time that Jesus called them, I mean, the the voice was was how they recognized him. And whether it was as he would teach them around the campfire, or as they would listen to them preach to the multitudes, or as they sat in the Sea of Galilee in a boat, Hearing the voice from shore, they knew his voice. Jesus would say, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So John tells Peter, and Peter, who, whose body tends to work faster than his brain, um, just doesn't waste any time. And I love what he does. He does this sort of action here. Um, This is not live footage, by the way. Some of you recognize where that's from. 
But in, the, in my mind, this picture is what I have of Peter. I mean, he's so enthusiastic. He's so excited, not just to hear Jesus, but he wants to hug Jesus. He wants to see Jesus again. And, and this reminds me, of course, that famous scene where Forrest has his fishing boat and Lieutenant Dan comes back to see him. And he's there. And in that moment, Forrest is chasing after, or, or he jumps off the boat of security to go after his friend, his mentor, his guide. And uh, it's kind of a really beautiful picture in the movie, but it's certainly much more poignant as Peter does it. Peter's enthusiasm and his excitement always translated into action. And this is really important. That there just comes this time When you have to jump, when you have to leave security and familiarity and comfort and, and jump. I mean, I learned this best teaching our kids to swim, right? You know that. They stand on the edge. They know what it's familiar, it's secure, it's comfortable. And they've got to jump into your arms, which are secure and, and familiar, but there's that gap between the two. This whole story is about Jesus trying to teach his disciples to jump. And, and I'm convinced that as disciples, that's one of the keys to success, to going the distance, is being willing to leave what we're so comfortable with doing and, and so secure in knowing. And jump into something that we're unknown, that's, that it's unfamiliar, that it has a high learning curve. And that's whether you're doing a new project or taking a job or even if you're sitting in the pew tonight and you haven't made the, the plunge to follow Jesus, you, you got to jump. I mean, that's every single week I think about, I wonder if anyone will jump this week. I wonder if anyone's going to decide today to leave security, to leave what I know, and follow this crazy guy named Jesus and let him wreck my life. Which is what he does. It's what he did to them. It's what, I mean, this is not the end of the story. Jesus is not done with them. But if you want to do anything that's valuable and powerful and meaningful in life, and certainly even in the kingdom, you got to understand, the magic happens outside your comfort zone. you got to step out of it. you got to leave it. You can waste your life being comfortable and secure. You know the number one regret of folks that are in nursing homes dying? Actually, an interesting book about it. Interviewed all these people in their 90s and centurions and they're telling them, as you look back on your life, most of which is behind you now, what lessons have you learned? And the most common sentiment expressed is regret. Not that they did something and they failed, but that they didn't do something at all. Not that they took a risk 
and lost, but that they never even tried to take the risk. Probably not going to happen this way. But, but what if Judgment Day was something like this? Instead of sitting down and recording all you did, what if it was you sitting down and getting to watch for a couple of trillion years all the things you could have done but didn't? Jesus has this great way of messing with us, and he does with the disciples as well. If you're going to follow him, you've got to jump, and you've got to get uncomfortable. Matthew and Mark mention the disciples were fishermen by trade and that they were called to be fishers of men. Jesus called them out of what they knew into something that they did not know. None of those guys knew how to be fishers of men. I guarantee it. I mean, when Jesus first said that phrase, they didn't think, oh man, that's a, that's a good turn of phrase there, Jesus. Good job. But Jesus is calling them back to these early days. You want to follow Jesus? You want to be a fisher of men? Then listen to me. Obey me. Follow me. He's calling them to be more than just fishermen. And together, they would share in a catch. Um, and, and the catch, of course, is not just the fish. 153, according to John's count. But Jesus, I, I know in my mind, he is preparing them for something much larger. This catch is going to be repeated again and again in the very next book, in the book of Acts. If you just go through a very cursory reading of that text, you just see how the church, I mean, it just explodes in Pentecost. And it explodes as the disciples multiply and divide and grow. And Satan tries to stomp it out with persecution. And it's just like stomping on a fire. All the embers just scatter and little fires start every other place. It, it just begins to go crazy. Acts 2.41 says there was about 3,000. Acts chapter 4 verse 4 says there was 5,000 men, just the men, they're increasingly using words like increase and added and multiply. You get this? Jesus had to get them ready to be willing to cast on the other side of the boat. To cast where they thought seemed wise and good. And to rely instead on him and to be willing to get uncomfortable because he was going to do a great thing in the early church. And they were going to lead that. But they had to stop just seeing themselves as fishermen. John chapter 4, Jesus said, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I mean, he was, guys, there's much more than fish out there. There's souls of men. Souls of men and women who, if you don't take seriously, will end up in eternity in hell because they don't know me. And how are they going to know me unless you tell them? How are they going to know me unless you go out into uncomfortable waters? From the Last Supper to the first meal, Jesus was with them.
And he called them to do a couple of things, and I hope, hopefully these will give us some, some takeaways. First, um, we have to leave familiar nets and go fish. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Um, I'm not sure why John puts this in here about them eating breakfast and Jesus saying, come, let us have breakfast. I'm glad that Jesus is excited about breakfast. But I think that he was reminding them that there's more important food out there to do the will of the Father. And hopefully, as we said at the beginning, we'll be willing to step out of the comfort zone to get uncomfortable. You see, you and I, disciples, followers of Jesus, we are called to be fishers of men and not keepers of the aquarium. And so many times, so many times, I go home at the end of the day and think to myself, I spent a lot of time in the aquarium today. And that's sort of my job, I get, I'm not, I'm not, but it's, what I'm saying is it's easy for us all to get so caught up in the aquarium that we forget our job is to go fish. So let me ask you, who are you fishing for? Who are you praying for? Who has God put in your life every single day Every single week, and the angels in heaven say, are they going to cast? Are they going to cast today? We're called to make a difference. And Jesus wanted his disciples not just to be a club, but to be people on mission. So who are you fishing for? If I can call you to get uncomfortable, I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat because I know you're good and comfortable now. But um, would you take out a piece of paper or your cell phone or whatever is handy? Because I want you to write down. I, I want you to put three names down. If I was totally biblical, I could say I want you to make a list of 153 people, but I'll go easy on you. I, I just want you to put three names down. Of people you're fishing for. People that you know need to know Jesus. But don't. Three people. I mean, could be family. You're going to see a lot of this coming season. It could be a a friend. Co-worker. Could be a neighbor that you're by every day. Could be a stranger. That you see repeatedly, maybe you don't know their name, it's just the guy with the red hat. I, I hope that you will take seriously those three, and maybe God will bring a different three into your life, but Jesus needed them to be about the fishing, and he needs us to be about the fishing too. And sometimes I think we just kind of assume that if we get them in this, this room here and Toby preaches a good enough sermon... We'll get them. And I, I, think there's a, I think there's a team approach that needs to come into it. Plant and sow and water and so forth. But it starts with who are the three that you're going to plant that seed with? 
Who's the three you're going to pray for? Who's the three you're going to think about? Who's the three you might be bold enough just to send a text message right now and say, hey, I'd really like to get coffee with you and see where that leads. May the church never forget that that we're about the fishing business. And may we get uncomfortable to do that. And secondly, may we not forget that he promised to be with us always. They didn't know he was with them, but he was with them. And I think you and I sometimes forget that he's with us. Even though we can't see him, we can't hear him, he's with us. In Matthew, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I know well-meaning people will say, Father, be with us. We don't really need to pray for that. He's promised us that he'll be with us. What we need to pray for is that we'll be with him. That our hearts will be where his heart is and that our passions will be where his passions are. And that means getting uncomfortable. It means doing the thing that you don't think you could do. That you don't see yourself doing, but I guarantee you God sees you doing. So may we pray often for God to be, <clears throat> for us to be with the Lord instead of asking God to already be with us. We're going to wrap up chapter 21. Um, I know, realize tonight we have melodramas and all sorts of other things, and youth groups have been busy with Christmas Project, and so I know it's been a long day. But as we leave today, as we sort of end the first day, I want you to think about what you're going to do with the next six days. Will the next six days be like the previous six days? Are you going to be in a cycle of repeating and repeating and repeating? The only way to break that cycle is to get to a point of being uncomfortable, to step out where God needs you to be. Tonight, as I consider how to invite someone to take the plunge, the eternal plunge, into new life with Jesus. I just have to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. And he has great plans for you. But he's left it in your hands. Whether you're going to submit your life, it's a gift from him, if you're going to submit that life back to him or not. If you haven't done that tonight, um, you're running out of time. And if you've done that, but you've allowed yourself to be lulled and comforted and you've gotten awfully comfortable in the aquarium. And you're convicted that you need to be more about the fishing. um, Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Let us help you in whatever way we can. Tonight, if you have any need to come to Christ or to grow in Christ or to repent, Uh, Whatever that need might be, you can come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.